everyone, it's Saturday. Time for another episode of Beyond Garnet. Let's get creative. Maybe too intense for some listeners. Maybe unsuitable for sensitive people. May cause dizziness. May cause drowsiness. May cause excitability. Safety goggles may be required for listening. Take with food. Avoid contact with skin. Avoid extreme temperatures and store in a cool, dry place. This is not legal advice. Must be present to win. Contents under pressure may contain small parts. Listen at your own risk. Hey, happy Saturday, everyone. I have a super special guest on the show for you today. You will know him from films like Eddie and the Cruisers 1 and 2, Streets of Fire, Hope Floats, The Philadelphia Experiment, Bone Tomahawk, and Big Kill. The fantastic Mr. Michael Paré. Hey, Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure, Lana. I, was, uh, I miss talking to you, actually. I know. I miss talking to you, too. I have some really great questions here that I think a lot of actors, up-and-coming actors, are going to want to hear your input on. So I'm pretty excited to, to dive into this. But I want to start out with one question. You're an East Coast guy, right? You live Now yeah. you live on the West Coast. What were you like as a kid growing up in New York? Well, um, I, had, I came from a big family. Uh, there were 10 of us, you know, four boys and six girls. You know, I guess... You know, coming from a big family, there's a certain amount of individual security you have because it's like your gang. You know, I, I slept, you know, in a, there were four of us in one bedroom. So I, like, I was never, uh, I don't know, it just made me kind of a leader yeah. in my class. And I wasn't, and it wasn't like a good kind. Kind of unstable, you know. There were days I was a bully and there were days where I was getting bullied by the older kids. Once my brothers graduated from grammar school, so or middle school, I guess they call it now. Yeah. So uh, I was very interested in history and literature. You know, I loved reading Hemingway. Life and Men I liked a lot when I was in eighth grade. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I liked to read. Um, my father was a printer, so reading was a part of our family. Uh, you know, everybody was sitting around and reading. My brother became a doctor of English literature from Columbia University. My sister is a doctor of English literature from Duquesne. Wow. Uh, I mean, it's a... Uh, Academics are in my family. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Did you have a defining moment where you went, yes, this is what I want to do. I want to be an actor. Was there a moment that you recall? You know, when I went to my first acting class, it was funny because I was a cook in New York. I went to cooking school, and that was going to be my career. Right. As a cook, you know, most of the waitresses want to be actresses in New York, or singers or dancers. They're all aspiring show business people. Sure. And they, would, they wouldn't talk to a cook. I mean, I'm the cook. <laughs> but when I went to my first acting class, all of those girls who were, you know, act, you know, wanted to be actresses or dancers or singers saw me as an actor, and when they saw me work, suddenly they would, you know, I could have a conversation with them. Suddenly I became accessible and interesting, and uh, it didn't matter if you were broke because you were an actor, and if you did good work in class, it was made you really interesting, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> so, so after I did my first, the first thing I did in class was from Streetcar Named Desire. I was 21. You know, it's really, uh, well, I was pretty gross. But I was interesting, even though I was just a cook. So that was like, wow, this is uh, the, the big equalizer. <laughs> Balance attracted pretty gross. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but I knew, you know, I had a career when I, when I did Eddie and the Cooper. That's where I knew I, I had a career. That was a defining moment. Oh, wow. Tom Berenger was the star. When uh, I got a pause, when we shot, 
shot the first song, and it was really my first scene in the movie, and the director threatened that he would find me if I didn't do a great job, and then I did a fantastic job, and it was like, okay, I've got a career doing this, but up until then, I wasn't sure if I was going to make it, and I was, you know, I was willing to uh, go back to New York and go back to the restaurant business if I didn't make it. You know, I came out the greatest American hero, I shot a, a season. On the hiatus, on after the first year, I got Eddie and the Cruises. We shot that over the hiatus. Yeah. It didn't come out until after we shot the second season. And even on the second season of Greatest American Hero, I was like, you know, this might not last. You know, because I didn't have a big part. I had, you know, a couple of lines every episode. So it wasn't really a career yet, even though I was on TV every Wednesday at 8 o'clock. Right. It wasn't like a, a role where... You know, I could shine. I was just a color of Bill Cat's character, actually. So, but when Eddie broke out, it was like, okay, that was the defining moment. I'm, uh, I'm going to be able to do this for the rest of my life. People still talk about that film. You know, there were a lot of very serious people involved. Yeah. Know, there was Kenny Vance, there was Southside Johnny, with Joe Brooks, Marty Davidson, the Scotty Brothers ended up making the record. They were all very serious music people, and... The most, a lot of them say the most important scene was that one on the roof where Tom Farringer is playing Dark Side as a ballad. And I uh, show them how to do it as a rock and roll song. And they say, that's how it happened. That's where it got kind of a, a respectable reception by people in the music business, not just, uh, you know, movie people. Yeah, I remember that scene vividly. Yeah, it's, it's a great movie. I love it. What do you think is, um, I know how I feel about this. The importance of training for actors. I really want to hear your answer to this because here in the Midwest, in Cincinnati, we struggle with actors who will actually take the time to train or learn different methods um, of acting. But it's, I think it's imperative. I do too. I, you know, when I'm not working, if I have a, like, tomorrow I'm going to the acting studio. Oh, nice. And uh, I'll go, I go twice a week when I'm not working. And if I have, you know, long enough time, I'll put a scene up. Yeah, I, uh, I continue to train. I think it's kind of like martial arts or, or going to the gym. You have to stay in shape, you know. And if you don't actually act for a long time, you're rusty. You're out of shape, and you're, you know, you're emotional, and you're, uh, you know, psychological. You lose your edge because you're not used to doing it. Right. Um, I, I continue. You know, I've been training, and I haven't stopped in forty years. Yeah. Uh, I guess there's not the time I was training in New York. It's like 22 years I keep going to class. Yeah. And often, you know, I, the light comes on. The light still comes on. I have an epiphany. And that's the exciting thing. You know, like a musician can sit in a room and play the guitar or the piano, and a painter can sit in the garret and, uh, you know, paint on a canvas. But an actor has to get up and act. And if you're not getting paid to do it, you have to do it in class. Right. You have to get up and you have to work a scene. You have to study a script, make your choices, find your object, find your obstacles, you know, relate to the other actor, respond. You know, this is really important to stay in shape. I, like I say, I do it as much as I can because that's what I am. I'm an actor, therefore I must act. Yes. And there are so many outlets now for people to train. There's just no reason for an actor to not be training. Go to the library and get a book. Go, you know, print a monologue off. Get together with other actors and read scenes together. You can always find a way to train, even if you're monetarily challenged or geographically challenged. There are ways 
to train as an actor? Well, a popular way, like when I was living in, in Europe, you know, I couldn't go to class, obviously, over there. I was working right. on two or three movies a year. But when I was just hanging around at home, I was picking up books of poetry. Yeah. Because you can study a poem just like you do a scene. And you can speak it out loud. Even though you're by yourself, you're still exercising that, that muscle. But there's nothing beat getting up in front of a, you know, a group of people and performing a scene. Sure. It's very helpful to get that objective voice because if you're working by yourself with just a bunch of friends, you start to watch yourself. Yeah. If you have that objective person, the teacher or the class, then it's, it's much better because then you can just go with it. And when it's over, you know, for me, when, when I'm doing a scene, it's over before I realize it. You know, that's how I know I'm going from moment to moment. It's not like I got to get through this, I got to get through this, you know. Yeah. It's coming up, it's coming up. It all kind of flows. And, you know, it, it seems like like if you have a five or six page scene, it's like, oh my God, that's like six minutes or something. But when, you, when I'm on top of it and the scene is falling, it just happens in a few heartbeats. What do you think is the most challenging aspect of being an actor? Perseverance. Ah. There's so many, there's so many reasons to quit. You have to take a job on the side and you start making enough money where suddenly you get married or you become a parent or, uh, you know, it's like, what's the use? It's so easy to give up because there's so few people that are telling you you're doing good, you're doing good, which is another reason to go to class. Right. Because they're reaffirming that you have it. You know, you did great work. And hearing that from uh, a teacher, a coach, or, you know, your uh, peers that you respect, that's what will keep you going. So you, you work out, you know, you train, and you get reassurance that you're doing a, a good thing. I see on social media, I see actors post quite often, I'm really getting frustrated, I'm wondering if I should just stop, you know, I've been turned down for the last 23 roles that I auditioned for, and that's a very common thing, so I totally agree that that's definitely a good place for training, is to keep that encouragement going so someone doesn't give up. Right. Yeah. Right. And you know, it's so easy to quit, because it's a thankless job if you're not working. In order to get that that feeling like I am an actor, you have to perform. Right. You have, you have to get up there and, you know, even if it's, you know, I don't know. You know, they have these, these food, uh, what do they call co-ops? Yeah. Where everything is cheaper. You know, if I was in Ohio or Indiana or, or someplace where you couldn't find a lot of acting classes, I would form some kind of acting co-op. You know, where everybody kicks in, you know, 20 bucks a month, and you could pay the rent on a space where you could, you know, you could create a class. You Absolutely. Know, at the empty studio, there's a moderator who just regulates who gets to uh, voice their uh, critique. It's not like there's one main teacher. They always talk about these stuff, but, you know, there's a lot of people who were teaching the method yeah. back in the 30s and 40s. So it's not just really shots, but there's a method. You know, there's the system, there's the techniques, there's all that stuff. So if I was if I was in Ohio in uh in like Columbus and there was no acting class and I wasn't in college, I don't like college acting classes anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I was I was more of an actor co op. Right. You know, just to just to get to keep that, you know, getting on stage, getting on stage and doing a scene. And it's not being like the stage is a is a holy place, but it kinda is. 
Yeah. You know, doing the play. Uh, a friend of mine, he's been an actor all his life, and he's had a couple of little parts, and he's done a couple of little plays, but he just got an off-Broadway play in New York. He's 67 years old. Wow. But it's a big, respectable play. It's a British company that came to New York, and he auditioned on tape. And they got it, and he got it. They flew him out to New York. He's staying at his brother's place, but you know. And now he's doing a very special play with an old British cast. He's doing three different British accents. Oh wow! You no, know, if he didn't continue to train to do these little thankless plays, then he wouldn't even have been aware of this opportunity. And he's in heaven now. Right. You know, he's not making a lot of money, but he's an actor. This is proof that he that it was smart for him not to give up. Right, absolutely. You know, I, I studied for quite a few years with Silvana Gallardo. She lived out in L.A. for a long time and then moved to Paris, Kentucky. And I studied, yeah, I studied acting with her until she passed away. I think I was roughly right around 40. So it's been about eight years since she passed. But I wasn't acting. I was t studying with her as an actor to help me better myself as a director. That must be why uh, I, I enjoyed working with you so much, because your your direction wasn't uh, technical, it was kind of from the heart, and, you know, I could feel, you know, your empathy and sympathy and, you know, the things that I was doing. Oh, thank you. That's a huge compliment. I appreciate that. Are there any characters that you've portrayed you think have a lot in common with you as Michael, personally? I, 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 I can relate to every part I play. But uh, I really love the characters I play, whether they're, you know, they're protagonists or antagonists or supporting role. Uh, you know, like I said, with Billy uh, Cat, I was the color of his character, you know, and I was really happy to be a part of that story. Like this one that I just did in Dallas, I played the, the, the mob bosses like in Fortune. I described him, you know, because I was there, it, it said something about him, and not about him personally, about that antagonist, you know, so all of it is, uh, yeah, I, I, I relate to all my characters, I think you have to, you know, even De Niro said, you have to, you know, you have to, don't judge them, you have to look at your characters with compassion, and, um, you know, I, I don't want to get metaphysical, but if, everybody plays a part in their life, you know, I'm not going to judge, yeah. I'm not going to judge, I mean, I know a lot of wise guys, and I know a lot of, you know, thinking people. Right. It's all kinds to make the world go round, right? That is a fact, yes. <laughs> now, who is someone who has inspired you? Well, I worked with a lot of big old actors, like Bruce Stern and Roy Scheider and Rod Steiger, um, you know, Malcolm McDowell and Jenna Topper. All of those guys inspired me because they've been doing a lot longer than me. Right. But Bruce Stern, it was, uh, it was really an inspiration because I was kind of, I was a little bit intimidated by him because I heard he was, you know, like difficult and impatient and he didn't put up with a lot of bullshit. Um, he didn't want to hear whining, he didn't want to hear complaining, but he would, you know, so he was like, he was allowed to moan about things that he sympathized with. Right. <laughs> you know, you know, he didn't want to hear about your personal problems, but, you know, if, if it was taking too long to get to location, or if the cameras, you know, didn't have all their equipment because the truck broke down, or if they lost the crew because they walked because of the overtime, you know, these kind of things, whatever impeded the production, you know, you were allowed to complain about. Right. You know, and, he, and he was concerned. 
and we got to be kind of tight because we had a bunch of scenes with um, Rod Steiger. You know, I was an extra in a movie we did called The Chosen with Robbie Benson. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the teacher I had in New York was affiliated with a production company, so he would get, you know, a lot of the uh, people from class, extra work. Yeah. You know, only when there was, like, crowd scenes. So I was in a crowd scene with Rod Steiger when I was, like, 20, 21, like that. And then here I am in California, and uh, I'm playing Rod Steiger's son. That's great. You know, it was like, you know, and I told him all about the movie, you know, and his character, and I could discuss it, even though I only saw the movie, I didn't get to read the script. Right. But I went from an extra in a Rod Steiger movie to playing his son, and, you know, I had second film. That's fantastic. Sure. So, uh, you know, you get you know, a little pat on the back from him, meant a lot. You know, oh, I can imagine. Opera, you know, in his opera, they say, you know, some people think he was a genius and all that other stuff. And, and he was a great guy, but also very impatient with, uh, you know, technical problems and production problems. But, you know, he loved just hanging on the set and talking about the stuff and goofing around. And, you know, uh, but he was also very shocked when that camera came on. He, you know, they portray him as old as wild, scattered mind. But when the camera came on, he was Dennis Hopper. Anyway, there were a lot, you know, I'm not doing it too long to say that there was any one moment. Sure. Because everyone built upon the, the last. I, 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 I don't know what would have happened to me if I didn't get this career. You know, I know, I, I don't know, I talked to a buddy of mine yesterday that if I hadn't gotten lucky with this, I would have. Went in a restaurant business. Maybe I would have got a restaurant, but I would have been divorced and left kids all over the place. <laughs> so, uh, who knows? Who knows? But, you know, now I've been married 27 years, and my son's 26, and I'm married to his mom, and uh, my career has been a blessing. That is something to applaud in Hollywood, a long marriage. Um, <laughs> well, I, but I think it comes from being a, a, a serious uh, Sure. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I feel really fortunate. Now, who is someone you haven't worked with yet that you would like to work with in the future? You know, I would love to work with De Niro or Pacino, you know, or, or Robert Duvall, one of those giants. Uh, also, I'd like to work with the biggest stars out there now, you know, of course. You know, Christian Bale, he, he just, I just love everything he does. And they say he's a maniac and they've written bad stuff about him, but man, when he's on camera, He's like, he's more human than, than genuine people are. I mean, his characters are more deep and rich and full, and he just doesn't seem like he's acting. He's just like, he, you know, I just saw that Ford versus Ferrari. Yeah. And he's just, I mean, he's just amazing, you know. Give me a fish pop deal, would you? You know, and it's like, he doesn't sound like culture. He's like, that's what they really want. Fizzy pop, I never heard that before. But it flowed <laughs> out of his mouth like it was the most natural phrase in the world. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But not to a contemporary or anybody else. You know, because you, you do that. You want your child to understand 
your decisions and your choices and why you must do certain things. And that, that just, you know, again, you know, he's talking through stuff. And it wasn't a big dramatic thing. They ran it in, I don't even think they, I think it's just a two shots. Wow. It was just like, wow. It was like, wow. I mean, it was, you know, the scene's over and then you realize what just happened. It's like, that was brilliant. So it's the cinematography, the direction, the dialogue, and the performance. It was all like, wow. He should have gotten nominated for Best Actor for that scene. But, you know, that was, that was you know, Parasite. I'd like to see that with my son, and I thought it was great. Funny and exciting, and, and uh, you know, the action stuff at the end was great. But that performance by Christian Bale was just amazing. It was so simple. Just two people. You know, that's the scene he was doing class. Okay. And you had it right. If you, if you get that scene right, it's going to be a thrill for any actor. That's another reason to go to, go to class and work on great plays. Yes. Because if it's not, if it's not working, it's not the play. That means you don't have it yet. Right. Yes. You see, when you do a new movie and a new screenplay and everything's new, everything's new, you don't know. You know, there's that joke where the, uh, the less talented actors trying to be Shakespeare in, in New York and the audience moves. And he walks to the apron and he says, hey, listen, I didn't write this shit. <laughs> um, yeah. Right? That's yes. why you want a great place. So if it's not working, it's you. It's not the fucking right. <laughs> Is there a disappointment you faced that still sticks with you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oliver Stone wanted me to do uh, El Salvador and Platoon. And my manager and agent and girlfriend all said, Oliver's a madman, you can't go. And they just badgered me and badgered me and badgered me. And Oliver and I were hanging around in New York in L.A. getting ready. And, and they just beat me down. And so I had to call Oliver and say I couldn't do, I couldn't go to El Salvador. I couldn't do the one in Mexico. And uh, he never spoke to me. I went over to his house and asked if I could still do platoon. And he said, no, he really didn't want anything to do with me ever again. Wow. So, um, yeah, yeah, and it was the Tom Berenger role, and it was the John Savage role in El Salvador. Uh, I even had, I went as far as getting the prosthetic for the tracheotomy. I mean, I was on my way. I was spending, going out with the L.A. Times, photographer, catering. I mean, I was doing all my preparations, but every day, I, you know, my manager, my agent, and my girlfriend were like, no, 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 however, you'll die if you go to Mexico with him. He's crazy, you know, and I'm... And I, and I just didn't fucking stand up for them. You know, I was only 25, you know, and um, I just wanted them to leave me alone. And it was before Oliver broke out, I mean, he'd already gotten an Academy Award as a, as a writer. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it was, but he would not stop. And it wasn't like these were nobody. It was William Morris, it was Celtic's uh, uh, partner, and these were brilliant people, but, you know, they didn't was the actor saw meeting Oliver Scripps. That was the biggest regret of my career. Having faced that, you probably take a tighter rein now on making the decisions for yourself, I'm sure, regarding what projects you accept or decline. Well, you know, at that time I was pretty hot, you know, and the big guys were calling. Yeah. Um, you know, whatever I think is something that has a shot. You know, uh, like this picture I did in Dallas is because of uh, the producer 
that was during the year, kind of discovered Craig Dolan. And, you know, I, I had a small part in Bone Tomahawk, and he wrote the uh, Puppet Master, the color is like his guy. And, you know, I did four movies for the producer, so maybe he'll give me a, a good part in the next Craig Dolan movie. Yeah. But it's going to happen that way. I, I have to break out, and it's like I have to break out again. I'm a working actor now. I feel like a, a boxer who's, uh, you know, on the undercard. Yeah. You know, and I'll, I'll keep getting fights, and I'll, and I'll keep working, but a shot at the big, I'm going to need uh, another miracle. Now, do you have any hobbies? Well, I used to surf. I, I had a condominium on the beach, and, uh, you know, I would go out three or four days a week. But, uh, you know, going to class when I'm not working is kind of all-consuming, and I, and I, you know, I've got to train at the gym, and I've got my son. Right. You know, who I... We have a great time together, you know. Uh, we go to movies, we hang around, we smoke a cigar two days ago and just, you know, talked about kind of like that scene with um, Christian Bale. Yeah. You know, because he's 26, and when I was 26, you know, I was already divorced once. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I, you know and uh, I was in show business for five years, and, uh, you know, we have completely different lives, so we have a lot to share. But you know, like I said, i got a son, I uh, go to class, go to the gym, um, you know, that, that, that's about it. I haven't surfed in a while. My board is still in my garage, and, <laughs> and I'll probably go over here one of these days. It's only, I'm only going to be minutes from the, uh, from a really great surfing beach. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I used to just take my board out of the closet and walk down the stairs to the ocean. Now I have to put it in the back of the truck and all this other crap. <laughs> yeah. the whole day instead of a couple hours. Right. Now, do you still cook a lot? I just made uh, uh, sausage and that good old bean soup. I, I made a gallon of it last night. I'll freak a couple parts for my son, and I'll have some of my wife's own. You know, yeah, I cook all the time. Oh, nice. I love it. That's, I guess that's a hobby, but I just do it so often. It's, uh, you know, I, I enjoy it a lot. What's your specialty? Do you have a specialty? Well, you know, I'm, I can't say my specialty, really. I like, uh, I like Italian. I like French. You know, but um, you know, I've on, I'm trying to work on the rice dish of every country. I've been working on my paella a lot. Yeah. You know, toasting the uh, saffron is very important. you got to toast it, not burn it. And you have to be careful toasting it. Um, you know, so my paella is the thing that has affected me to me. You know, I used to make a lot of great risottos. Um, but, you know, I just like stuff. You know, I could saute. You grease the glaze and cream and butter and, uh, you know, it, it, um, it depends on the mood and what's good. Yeah. Now, what is your, you've, you've probably filmed in so many different locations. Um, do you have a favorite location to film or do you just, doesn't matter, you just love to be on set? There's no place I'd rather be than on a movie TV set. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm looking for exotic locations. I'm going to go to Malaysia and Thailand uh, in June. Uh, hopefully the corona thing will be settled down by then. Yeah. <laughs> but even if it isn't, I'm going to go. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of, like that movie I did in China, a lot of the Chinese people are hiding out in uh, Thailand right now until the corona thing is settled in mainland China. So it can't be too dangerous. Sure. But, you know, I'd like to work in India. Because, uh, you know, they're all the same. You know, all the stories are pretty much, the human experience is pretty much the same. It's just a matter of who the characters are and the culture that, you know, the stories are happening in and the location. Um, 
I like to go to India. I like to work in India, not in Bombay, but where all those. Okay, there are millions of ancient temples in, in India. Oh yeah. That's so fascinating. Yeah. Now, when you go places like that, do you have time to sort of sightsee if you've never been there before? Do you get to go and? I'm sure you have a day off and um, things like that, but. Yeah. If I do, I go see something really cool. When I was in Indonesia, I got to go down to Bali for a week, and I got to go to northern. Uh, uh, Indonesia and see uh, Yogi Karti in, in uh, you know, Borbador. And that, that stuff is just fascinating to think that it, they don't know how old it was. It was probably pre Ice Age. That's amazing. You know, like, yeah, right? That, it's, because, uh, yeah. That's just, you know, you don't realize how long people have been on this planet. And uh, I'm involved in sci fi series right now. And, you know, I keep telling the writer that. The human experience hasn't changed. Technology has. Right. But the human being hasn't changed. So we tell the same story in a new environment, but it's really all about communication and heartbreak, you know, or, or success, you know. Now, are you a collector of anything? Not really. You know, I, I pick up, uh, you know, something from whatever location I'm on. Like, uh, you know, in, in Indonesia, I got these statues carved from the same stone that Borobudur was carved from. And, uh, you know, in Thailand, I, I found a, a war on the beach. Um, you know, a piece of volcanic glass, you know. And, you know just, just stuff like that. Yeah. I, have a, I guess you'd say I have a collection of, of Buddhas and Shivas and stuff like that. Okay. But it's not like they're on a shelf or stuff. Right. Just around there, around my house. Gotcha. Is there a vast difference between acting in New York and acting in L.A.? No. In New York, I just have a lot of family. So it's like, you know, uh, I got to see them on the weekend. But, no, the job is the same. But, you know, I worked in, in, in China. And uh, that's the I worked in, in Shenzhen, China. I worked in Moscow, Russia. I worked in uh, Budapest, Hungary. And I work in L.A., and I work in New York. And once you're on the set, it's like an independent planet. Yeah. You know, even if you don't know the language, you know the language of film. You know, you, you are aware that they still set lights, they still move the camera, they still change the lens. Right. They still watch the scene. You know, it's, and uh, you don't have to know I mean, I, I work in Israel sometimes, and, uh, you know, they're speaking Hebrew. You know, and they're speaking uh, Hungarian, and they're speaking Russian, and they're speaking Chinese, and, you know, it's like, but they're talking about the same stuff, and you understand. Right. What are your current projects that you're working on, if you can tell us anything? Uh, there's two right now, the one that I'm producing. There's, I'm going up to Sacramento to do, uh, it's a little bit like, uh, remember that series, you're, you're young, actually, but there's <laughs> a series called Ben King Bronson. Yeah. About this guy who kind of, who kind of falls off. He jumps off the grid, and he's wandering around the country, and he's kind of doing good deeds. This is a little more violent. Uh, I stumble into a human trafficking uh, organization, and, uh, you know, I was talking with the writer, and I said, we can't just kill the bad guys. We've got to give, you know, when you rescue these people, what do you, what do, you do with them? They're different. It's like they've been to war, and they're kids. You can't send them home and expect everything to be hunky-dory. You've got to... You got to point out that there are recovery groups. So, so anyway, it's about human trafficking. That one, and uh, it's a small town. You know, it's, it's like a very 
small organization. And the one in uh, Thailand and Malaysia, it's like on a global scale, but it's pretty much the same thing, but it's about kidnapping for other reasons, for political reasons. Wow, okay. And, uh, and then the one in Miami is, uh, that I'm producing with a, a partner of mine is a horror film. Oh, okay. So those are, the, those are the next three things I'm doing. All right, fantastic. Do you have any big future goals that you've set for yourself? Yeah, I want to get my name on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. I love that. I want my star on Hollywood Boulevard. That's fantastic. I love that goal. You know, if I could, like I say, if I could get a big, a big movie contract, or if something big breaks, I get a TV series, I could, I could put that in my contract. Because you just, you got to pay for it. Right. But you can't pay for it yourself. If you have to be sponsored in, and, and you know, I've got five television series. I've done, you know, two hundred movies. Right. There's no doubt about it that I am, uh, you know, I'm an actor. Yes, I, I don't think anyone can deny that. <laughs> So I want my, my star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Do we know how much a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame costs? It changes every year. Oh, does it? It's not that much. You know, uh, grand. Oh, that's not that, bad. That's something that a, that a network would give you for, like, a Christmas present. If they're happy with the show, that they gotcha. respond to that. It would be, like, a, you know, a press, you know, opportunity. Yeah. Absolutely. But, you know, you can't ask for it. You know, the manager would have to say, you know, this would be a much sweeter deal if you would do this for my you know, Right. And I can't say, all right, I'll do it, but give me my star. So that's, you know, it's the same reason why actors need lawyers or agents or managers to make their deals. You just feel dirty making negotiating money. We're not, you know, it's probably why a lot of actors go broke because somewhere along the line we're told that money is dirty and artists shouldn't deal with it. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> right? Oh, no, yeah. no, no, no. I'm an, I'm, an, I'm an artist. I don't deal with money. Yeah. <laughs> Until they get to be 65, and then it's like, why wouldn't that count my money? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> How hard is it for an actor to, an experienced actor who's done the training, who's doing the work, to land a decent agent? I can't get a decent agent now. Oh. You know, I, I was with all the bigs, and uh, I've been constant from agent to agent for like 20 years. Really? That surprises yeah, I mean, me. good agents, but they're not powerful. Oh. You know, it's like, you need a powerful agent. You know, a good agent, but it's good. You, need, you want somebody who, they take the agent's call. Yeah. And when, you know, you're being submitted, because you were CAA or ICM or William Morris or UCA, or a big management company, your picture gets put on the top of the pile. Ah, uh, okay. You know, if your agent is submitting you with 10 other, you know, guys, white between 40 and 60, it's like, you know, that's going to go through that pile. Right. But if you're on the, you know, if you're second or third in the CAA pile, then you look that. That's interesting. Yeah. That's very interesting. But any agent, any manager can submit you. But, you know, I, I you know, the people that I've worked with in the past call me directly. Yeah. You know, I think there's one in, uh, up at Sacramento. I, I was in two movies with this guy, and he called me up and said, Michael, what are you doing in March? And uh, the one in Thailand, I did three movies with him. He said, Michael, I'm putting this together. Are you available? I said, yeah. And the one in Florida is the guy that I've known for like three years, and he's been trying to get a break as a writer. And finally, he's put up his money, and he asked me to help him produce it. Manager, they might go, but if they're friends, 
you feel funny saying, oh, you got to talk to my lawyer now because you're friends, right? Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really the messy part of it. It's like, ah, fuck, you know, I don't want to feel it. Right. It's awkward. All kinds of yeah, awkward. awkward. That's the term. Yeah. So here's a question that I ask everyone. has nothing to do with acting. Okay. It's just because I'm curious and because it's one of my favorite things. What is your favorite type of cake? Chocolate cake with the coconut on it or strawberry shortcake. But they, they can't be California strawberries because they grow too fast. Okay. Strawberries shouldn't be white on the inside. They should be red on the inside. Yes. I was working in, in Serbia. Uh, yeah, in Serbia. And I stopped on the side of the road and bought a kilo of strawberries. And they were like dark red all the way through. I ate half a kilo when I got back to my hotel. <laughs> It was just like, oh my God, they're like, you know, the ones that the farmers pick, not the ones that are picked in one place and shipped somewhere. Right. You know, it's not strawberries, they're as big as apples. Yeah. It's like, that's not really a strawberry, that's like a genetic miracle. Or, right. You know, how they do it. <laughs> it's a mutated so strawberry. The chocolate cake with the coconut on it, that's really nice. Do you bake cakes? No, I'm not big on desserts. I'll make souffle, I'll make sabayon. Uh, I like bake bread. I like to do that. Oh, I, I'm not big on the sugar stuff. Now, see, there's that's my weakness right there. Bread, fresh baked bread, still warm with like yeah. slather a bunch of butter on it. It destroys me every time. Yeah. I cannot pass it up. I know. I have to make two uh, loaves of the baguette because I know I'm going to eat one before you know. Before <laughs> anybody knows I'm <laughs> Yeah, I am right there with you. Yeah. So how do you feel about social media? It's a necessary evil, and I really, I I don't like it, but you have to have it. I, I, yeah, but I, I don't, it's, it's not helping me because I found, I, I canceled several pages. Like, there's a bunch of pages out there from Michael Perret, and it's not me. And then there's like three or four that I just don't, I can't remember the password for, so I started a new one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm not good at it. I, and uh, Instagram is great, but I, I don't know what to do with it. I'm, you know, it, it, it's an ego-driven thing, but it's business. You know, and they say, well, you have to get a, a manager. And then it's like, yeah, I'm a, you know, a social media manager. It's like, I'm, you know, they say, you know, the big, the bigs are, are casting off of that. But that might explain why there's a lot of crappy actors out there. Because I worked with a guy who's like a social media giant. But he couldn't do two lines in the scene. Yeah. He could only do one line at a time, and then he had to turn away and look at. I mean, while we're shooting, he would do the line, and then he'd look at the script, and then he'd do the next line. And it's a scene with five people in it. Yeah. And because he was the lead, because he had this enormous social media following. Yeah. You know, the other four people had all had careers in television. They were professional people, and here's this guy, absolutely no respect, consideration, and it's like. Yeah. They had no prep at all. Really quick, just one little piece of advice that you can offer to the listeners, actors, up and coming actors. What's your advice? Train. Hone your craft. Learn to love acting. You know, when you have when you have those epiphanies, that's what will make you fall in love with acting. But you've got to train to get that epiphany. You know, when, when suddenly the scene works, you understand. Yeah. It's so much easier to focus. And the other thing is, don't memorize your lines. 
read the script until you know the lines. Read it over and over and over and over and over. You know, in the beginning, I guess you can learn by rote, but now I don't memorize my lines. I read, you know, like this thing that I'm going to do in uh, Thailand, I'm reading it at the one that's doing in Sacramento. I, I kind of over the story. Yeah. It's more of an action thing. It's not that much. There's going to be dialogue, but Anthony Hopkins says it this way also. He says he goes off to the desert, he reads the script through winter time. Wow. And, I, and you don't feel like a novel. You consume it. You consume it. You yes. And if you're going to visualize, don't visual, don't see yourself. See the other characters in the location. Yeah. in your mind like a first-person shooter game. You see the other characters, hear their dialogue, you move like you're supposed to move. So, train, 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 and uh, get into a class and perform. I love it. Fantastic. Okay? Yes. Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate your time. Okay, madam. All right. I will talk to you soon. I hope we get to work together. Oh, me too. Yes. Looking forward to it. All right. Thank you, Michael. You too. Big shout out to Kevin McLeod over at Incompetech for our super slick theme song, Jet Fueled Vixen. And a big shout out to Michelle Lawson for our super amazing disclaimer. Mm-hmm.